Hello. Hi, John. Hello, Dan. Where are you? I'm sitting here in the staged dining room of my home. I thought you weren't allowed to be in your home. Well, I'm not, but the house where I was staying, where I am staying, um, the owner of that house decided that this was a good week to have her roof replaced. Oh, I see. I see. So every morning at 7.30, I wake up to the sound of working men who are hammering on the on the, the ceiling. Yeah. They took the roof, the old roof off, which was wonderful t- to experience at 7.30 in the morning. And then mm-hmm. now they're putting a new roof on. So all week long, that's been happening. So I had to cancel Roderick on the line this week. Oh, man. Uh, and uh, by the time I got to Thursday... I said, I, I said, I'm just going to go over to my house, the house that I own, and sit in the perfectly manicured dining room mm-hmm. and talk to Dan because I can't, I can't keep living like this. <sighs> Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening to you. Yeah, I see. I'm using this microphone. Do you remember when I? Long time ago, I got these USB microphones. Well, from the picture that you posted of your setup in Ken Jennings' house, it looked like you had taken over his dining room table or something like that. It looked like you had, sh- and I commented on Twitter. You didn't reply. I'm sure you've been busy. Uh, that yeah, it looked you. like you had a uh, Shure SM7B uh, and a Rode Boom, if I yeah. had to guess. And I didn't think no, that was your regular right. MO at all. Absolutely right. That's what those were. Um, so I have this traveling, you know, traveling circus. I was I was given an Apogee, um, like uh, uh, analog to digital interface or whatever it is that you people call those things. Yeah, um, you a USB audio interface, sure. Yeah, right, an audio interface. And it's by the company of Apogee, which is a, you great know, a reputable yeah, company. They, they and, make great stuff. <clears throat> and this is a, a, you know, it's a bulletproof unit. Um, but I, uh, I never have really, I've never gotten so that I really embraced the interface. I right. kind of don't, it's one of those machines, you know those old drum machines where, or like a Yamaha DX9 where within the machine there's all the ca- capabilities you just have to be someone who wants to read the manual over and over and scroll through you've got just a little screen you're scrolling through all these different menu options you're adjusting parameters mm-hmm. there are people in the world who love that stuff and they want to get in and change the settings and different parameters and they, they get what they get is, um, they make a mental map of how the programmers of this device thought was the best route to get to where you wanted to go. But those programmers were living in Japan in the 1980s and, and as is true of programmers, I know you know this, Mm. a programmer develops a map in their mind that they think is incredibly self-explanatory and is just the natural path through the garden that anyone with any brains would also agree is the natural path. Now, programmers um, often are not map makers or really language users, right? they do not dance the shaman's dance. They have learned how to think of things, of architectures and structures in a very particular language, which is the culture of programming where they learned it, when they learned it. And so very often to a lay person, the mental map that the programmer chooses as seeming to them to be as natural as the wind in the willows 
is completely incomprehensible to a normal person. And the <laughs> programmer is so frustrated by the dumb normal mm-hmm. that can't see that when you're at the end of menu A, you just toggle, you know, control X, and that takes you to the, you know, the middle of menu B, which is where you would, you know, want to be according to them. And often this music gear is programmed by people who aren't either musicians or aren't ever going to play those instruments live or aren't going to use the instruments the same way that a musician would. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and brilliant musicians, or br- I'm sorry, not brilliant musicians, but brilliant programming musicians end up finding all these workarounds and ways in which they can sort of break the programming Uh to make other cool things. But that's all this big old game of bleep bloop that somebody like me, who's still struggling to pick up a ukulele and remember what key it's in. Like I just never, I would look at those DS nines and when I would, or, or whatever device. And I would scroll and scroll. And sometimes I would create this, uh, these mystical, uh, music events, but completely unduplicatable. I had no idea how I got there or how to get out. So this Apogee device has one big knob. Yes. I know that one. are you talking about the, the duet or the Apogee one? No, I'm talking about the Apogee quartet. Oh, okay. The quartet. <coughs> and it's brilliant. It has four XLR inputs. It has fire wire and lightning and. Yeah. Those things look zap- great. I've, I've never personally tried one, but I've heard really good thing. I'll put that in a, our show notes. Why not put it in the show notes? Those things are pricey though. Expensive things. Yeah. And in return for that expensiveness, I would think that the interface on the computer would be elegant and natural and uh, self-explanatory and that the the box itself with the with one big knob and some buttons would perform reliably in the in the sense not in the sense of it doing its a to d conversion but also that it would for instance retain settings from the last time you used it. Mm -hmm. Or if it didn't retain settings, have an easy way to ensure that those settings were available somewhere under a name or some kind of routing, you know, this type of thing. And, um, And maybe it does, but I don't know how, you know, it, it, it's, um, it is not an easy path for me. And what I want, honestly, is this exact box, except without one big knob. Mm-hmm. One big knob is very appealing to people in audio right now. Like it's got a big knob and it, and I think it appeals to people because it feels like this is a thing. I turn it and things happen. It's like a, it's their idea of what we're looking for in analog somehow. Right, right. What I want is I've got four inputs. I want four sliders. If I want input two to be louder, I don't want to have to push a button that then makes the knob, the one knob suddenly be input two and then push another button and the knob becomes input three. Mm-hmm. I just want four sliders. That right. Each input has a slider. Right. And the same for in outs and the same for phantom power and the same for all these things. We've been doing this now for decades. There's a mixer and, and there are buttons for this and everybody who's ever worked in audio knows how to use a little four track mixer. But this device in order to be elegant and cool, it has one big knob and then on your computer screen appears a facsimile of a mixer. (laughs) Right. The facsimile doesn't behave like a mixer and it has all these extra, uh, you know, sort of 
menu screens where it's like, oh, do you want to route it through your fucking mom's earballs? Like, here it is. You just do it like this. And it's like, I don't know what an earball is, bro. I don't know why. Why would I want to route it through that? I just give me a fucking. So all by way of saying my, um, my, my system has never, I've never quite gelled with it. Like yeah. it doesn't feel like mine. It feels like a thing that, and the thing is it's expensive and that naturally makes you think, well, this is the best because it's the, it costs the most. Right. I mean, that, a lot of people, including me usually think, well, if, if there's like 10 different things out there and they all cost varying things that the most expensive one should be the best one. Sure. And it's got one big knob. How do you look askance at a knob, at the biggest knob there is? Right. We would like to say thank you very much to our friends over at Squarespace. I actually just started a brand new Squarespace site. I'm still messing around with it. I'm still tweeting. There's so many cool options. And I'm in the process of building this thing out. It's, uh, I don't know if I should even say what it is just yet. But you know, the time came for me to build a website. And I thought, how, how should I do this? Should I start typing HTML and CSS or should I do it in like one step with Squarespace? Of course I did it with Squarespace because I have more important things to do than like roll up my sleeves and try to build a website from scratch. Cause guess what? It's 2019 or some point in the future. Cause I know these episodes will be around for eternity. There's no reason to do this stuff yourself, but you can still make it yourself and you can still make it stand out without having to do all that code, without having to write all that junk and nonsense and worry about where is it going to be hosted and what about bandwidth and what about security and what about hacking? None of that is an issue with Squarespace. They take care of everything. They've got beautiful templates. You can sell stuff with their e-commerce stuff. They've got analytics built in, built-in search engine optimization. You don't have to patch anything or upgrade anything and they've even got 24-7 award-winning customer support. So if it's like 3 a.m., and you're like writing something on your website and it's, there's a, you can't figure out how to do something. You just email them. They write you right back. Like, yeah, they'll take care. They'll help you. They're there. They're there all the time. They're there right now. No matter when you're listening to this, they're there. So go on over to squarespace.com slash roadwork for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code roadwork, one word, and you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website. Guess what? They also have domain names. You can register a domain name there and you can use that coupon code, promo code thing there to roadwork, save you 10% off your first website or a domain. So thanks very much to Squarespace for making this show possible. Now in a different definition of a big knob, I think you can look askance. Like if, if there's a guy who comes around all the time and, and you say, what's the deal with this guy? And somebody goes, oh, he's a big knob. <laughs> that's, that's not who you want around, right? That's right. Now, I don't feel that way about this big knob. I feel like this Apache gear is really good for, uh, for doing the thing that it's there to do. <clears throat> but a couple of years ago, this company, um, a different company than Apogee, a company called Bumblebee, Bumblebee uh, got into the USB microphone. Right, business. and there—that's the picture. If if those who are were kind enough to support us on our Patreon page, which is at Patreon.com/slash/Roadwork, uh, they go there, they'll see you laying in bed. Right. Uh, with that on your, looks like it's on your, uh, your stomach and your laptop is on your protecting your genitals. Yeah. On, in my lap. In your lap. And, uh, and it looks, I've seen these. I actually reached out to this company because people have asked me for my opinion of their stuff and I've never had a chance to use it directly. So I reach out to them and said, Hey, send me one and I'll, I'll do a video on it or something. But this is the black box on the little arm with the knobs on the base. Like it's like a, a podcasters unit that has air. It's like an all in one, right? It's all in one. You just it's plug and play. You stick it in uh, the USB and you go to your settings and you make it your in out 
your your microphone preference and then you are podcasting buddy you know right. you've got three you've got three knobs here you've got headphone volume you've got mic gain and you have um like uh, a little knob that sort of makes this decision for you it says so so i have two two of these bumblebee mics they're different models the one that it was there on my lap uh, that day had had a knob that adjusted uh, microphone patterns. You know, there are microphone patterns like mono microphone, where you, uh, if you speak directly into it, it picks up your sound, but it doesn't pick up any side noise. And then there's a different setting for a microphone where it's shaped like a kind of figure eight. And if you're talking into the mic and someone's across from you talking into the mic, it will pick up both signals but again, no side noise. So like, uh, and this is going in microphones all the way back. So it, there are a lot of those scenes where the Beatles are standing on either side of a microphone and their instruments are in the room, but pointing at the, the their amplifiers are pointing at the side of the mic. Right. And so they can play their guitars pretty loud and sing into the microphone front and back. And there's not a ton of amplifier bleed into the microphones because the mic is intentionally not recording stuff coming from the sides. Mm -hmm. And then there are settings where the microphone is picking up everything in a 360 degree pattern around the room. And so this Bumblebee mic had that uh, setting or that knob that could, you could, basically make those same decisions that you would on a $15,000 Neumann microphone from the fifties. Right. Now this one I have that I'm using today has that same knob, but here are the settings music, neutral and voice. Meaning that the manufacturers here have made some decisions about some sort of digital emulation of like the frequencies that a microphone would want if you were doing music or voice or neutral. So I have that set on neutral here. Let's see what happens if I turn it to voice. This is voice. Did you hear that? There's a little bit of a mid range bump. Sure. You hear that difference? Subtle. Here's neutral again. And now here's music. Oh, it's much, um, it's, uh, it's really, rolled off there's a very little high end in music and now here's neutral again and now here's voice so i feel like i'm going to leave that on neutral <coughs> anyway the bumblebee company as far as i can tell is now out of business oh that would probably be why they didn't reply to me then yeah i'm not sure if that's true let's see there is a website yeah the it's website Bumble worked Bumblebee DIY Pro Audio. I'm looking at it now. They do not appear to sell any of these USB mics anymore, if this is even the same company. They have like make your own ribbon mic kits and they have DI boxes, but the logo doesn't even look the same. So I'm not sure what happened here. But these uh, Bumblebee mics. When they arrived in the mail for me, the, the first time that they showed up, mm -hmm. they were packaged in this like super duper cool way. Now, Dan, I'm going to interrupt myself here, okay. which you know I don't like to do. I know a you car don't like has, A car has just pulled up out in front of the house. Oh, and you suspect that the house is being shown or about to be now, shown. This could be a situation where a real estate agent and some normals walk in and here's what they're going to see, a perfectly staged house and then me at the dining room table, rumpled. Oh, they, it's happening. Hang oh on a second. Oh my God, yep. Let me, let me go greet this person. Yeah. Dan, you're going to be privy to this. I'm, I'm enjoying it already. Turn the microphone here. <coughs> Hi, come in. 
Thank you. Are you an agent? I am. Yeah. My name's John. I'm the homeowner. Oh, perfect. Hi, John. And uh, I, unfortunately, I kind of came here not knowing whether someone was going to show the house today. Oh, I'm just here to quickly get a coat that we left behind last time we were here. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, what, what does it look like? Uh, well, where would it be? It's a four-year-old's coat. I think it's in the, the agent said it was in the back. Of, I love um, it in John's house. A coat could appear and he wouldn't notice it. That a new coat had showed up. It didn't belong yes. to him or his child. Yeah, alright. Okay. Cool. Great house. Um this thing is gonna be quite the effect for my clients, but Yeah, it's uh it's neat, but it is a sort of a specialty environment, yeah. right? Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. You have to be all in on some some weird quirks. Yeah. Yeah. But thanks for bringing them by. I appreciate yeah. it. My pleasure. See you uh, out in the world, I guess. Yeah, sounds good. All right, nice and loud. Cheers. <coughs> okay, here I come back. Back to the show. Back to the ah. show. Here I am. Yeah. I'll edit all that out. This that will never okay. air. Never air. All right. Good. 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 You don't want to let give people too much of a peek a peek behind the curtain. No. So where was I complaining about these microphones? Ah, I remember. Uh, this this microphone showed up and it was packaged so beautifully, Dan. Yeah. And by by beautifully, I mean like like um, packaged for wow. Now, it didn't quite wow me the way it was intended to wow, but they built these boxes to contain the microphone out of plastic. And within the boxes, it was a cool box, within the boxes, there was a sort of like layer of artwork that was visible through the clear plastic box. And there was a lid. It was the kind of box that you might try to repurpose for something else. It's so okay. cool that it was like, wow, this box, I could yeah, use this just, box. To, it's not a one-time use box. No, you want to put hats in it or something. Yeah. You know, it's, and then inside the box, there was a layer uh, where there was some foam. You take the foam off and then there's the instruction book and some little like gigaws that don't, that have nothing to do with the microphone, but are gigaws <laughs> that you might, have if you were really like brand identifying yeah with bumblebee like you'd keep it on your desk and when people would say what's that little gigaw you'd say well that came with my bumblebee mic um like an unnecessary piece of swag the type of thing you might find in a gift bag if you attended a conference where you would pull it out and go what the hell is this and then unless you were like a completist you would throw it in the garbage but because it came with the microphone and it had its own cutout space in the foam, you kind of felt slightly obligated to keep it or keep it there. And then you'd pull that layer of foam out, and here's this microphone in, you know, completely encased in perfectly laser-cut foam. You pull it out, and it just seems like, wow, man. <laughs> they spent as much <laughs> on this packaging as they spent on anything. Right. Like at least as much as the microphone. And so my instinct was to think of this packaging as some kind of carry case for the microphone, mm -hmm. right? Like this is how the microphone is meant to travel. It stays in its little nest. But this box is about the size of, it's not really the size of anything that you would, it's the size of like a Vitamix blender. Mm. Like it's, it's a, it's us, it's a substantial box. If you took it on a, on an airplane flight, it would fit in the overhead compartment, but not under the seat, you know? Right. So over, you know, when I, I think I traveled in my RV at one point and there was a, <clears throat> there was a shelf somewhere in there that was devoted to this bumblebee mic inside of its beautiful box. And I guess as time went on, I kind of started to resent the box. Like, this is a 
podcasting microphone. Why wouldn't you just put it in a little bag or something, make it so that it folded all the way down, put it in a bag so I could throw it in a briefcase and use it. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bolt this to my desk. It's, it's meant to be plugged into a laptop, you know? Well, then as I used the microphone, I realized a couple of things, Dan. One of them was that the headphone jack was a cheap piece of shit. <laughs> Did it break? Your, well, it just, it's one of those headphone jacks that like, after the third time you use it, you have to jiggle it to get it in stereo, right? It starts, it's just, it's just the cheapest headphone jack you can buy, right? Sourced from somewhere. It has no metal parts in it at all. Yeah, it's made right. entirely of plastic and it gets slightly bent at some point, And all of a sudden you have to jiggle it to get it to work. And then the key thing is the USB in the back is like, it's not the flat USB. It's the square USB. USB C D F G. You uh, would know what. Yeah, the, I know. I know the one you're talking about, and that's like a. I think that's actually USB two, or it could be USB three, but it's the one that's like it's not perfectly square, right? It's got a little right notch on the bottom or edge on the bottom. It's yeah. got a notch. Got yeah, a there's notch, a name yeah. for that, but we don't. We don't care. USB. We want them uh, gone, know. so we shouldn't even name it. If you name it, it'll right. make it stick around. Okay, so uh, let's not give it a name. Um, but. The, uh, whatever that kind of USB, John, if you give it, if you say its name, it gives it power. Yeah, that's right. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> right, Whoa, right. We don't want to do that. <laughs> um, they also sourced the cheapest USB jack so that if you move the microphone while you're using it, or if anything happens, if there, if a strong wind blows, the jack will pull out. It doesn't give you that. It doesn't, it gives you no amount of satisfying snap or click when you put it in. It just feels like it's kind of hanging there by a thread. And you realize when they were building this thing, they put a lot of energy into the box and not a ton of energy into making the device sturdy and built to last. You know, like made of the highest material, highest quality material. So I used this thing for a long time. When I was, when I was going back and forth between my house and Venice Beach, where I was attempting to make a, a life, a part-time life with Millennium Girlfriend, mm -hmm. I would take this microphone back and forth. I, I, I left one down there in Venice and when she and I broke up, I think she took that microphone to the thrift store along with everything else I left at her house uh, as, a, as a gesture of um, finality with me. She wouldn't have given <laughs> you the opportunity to reclaim it? No attempt uh, was made to give me the opportunity to reclaim it or my father's tuxedo jacket or any of the things that I left there. Left there at her behest, I might add. When she said at some point, you don't seem serious about living here in Venice with me. You don't even leave any podcast microphones here or Hawaiian shirts. And I was like, okay, baby, I'm going to bring a bunch of stuff down there and you give me some drawers in your dresser. You know, the old, I've got drawers in your dresser thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so all the things that I put in the drawers in the dresser all got thrown away as soon as she decided that we weren't uh, dating anymore. So I lost one of these Bumblebee mics in that transaction, but I had a couple more. But as time went on, I started to kind of resent the microphones, not because they don't perform. I'm talking to you on one right now, but because of the disparity between the amount of effort they put into their packaging and the amount of effort they put into building their product. And so when the company went out of business, or I don't know what cha changed into this like basically DI box manufacturer, right? <laughs> uh, where yeah. they don't, they do not appear to support their mic microphones anymore. 
I did not shed a mighty tear because I kind of, I repped for these things, right? I, I, um, I stood, I stood up and said, yes, this thing. Um, oh, now wait a minute. This, so apparently the Bumblebee microphone is actually made by the Neat Mic Company. Okay. Neat yeah, I, I know those guys too. And I use uh, their Beecaster model. Now their website is so. Still wait, you're up. saying the Beecaster? I use the Beecaster and the Bumblebee. I have I have a couple of right. The Beecaster is the one of you and that you're using in that picture. Right. B. It says B. Neat B. microphones. B E E by Neat microphones. Now I don't I don't see this website is still up. You can register your microphone, but when it when it comes time to buy one, mm. I don't you can well let's see. If you go to Guitar Center and you want to buy a neat microphone yeah, bumblebee desktop. We go here out of stock. It says. And this is I guess what I discovered when I when I looked at these before. Out of stock online. Please call or chat to check your local store. That appears to mean that they do not make them anymore. Right. It? And I just I just looked these things up on uh, B and H, which is a great place yep. to get this kind of thing. And they yep. are um, they are in stock in used condition. They have nine used items of of that right now. So I'm guessing yep. you're right. They're not being made yep. anymore. I'm on sweetwater.com, another yeah. place to buy these oh, yeah. things, and it says no longer available. Yeah, it's gone. So gone, right? Although their website is still up if you want to go if you want to go enjoy some some nicely made website. I mean, the, again, the website looks, looks good. Great. But it it seemed to me to be a like a metaphor for a certain kind of modern commerce where, where a lot of effort is put into marketing and into design and into disruptive, um, like entry into the market. And the thing itself is not, it doesn't have a kind of uh, build quality that would make you loyal to it over time. Yes, I totally get right? that. Yeah. It would it makes you want to buy it and own it and at first you're like wowzy dowsy. But there's that thing that that thing that we that used to matter a lot which was the build quality is is you put you you build a good thing because you want people to 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 use it for a long time and over over time develop a relationship with the product such that when it's time to replace it, which inevitably w that will happen, you feel like, wow, I, I got my money's worth and this is a company that, that I stick with. Right. And this was the problem I saw with, I think it was the, the cell phone industry introduced this idea that there is no loyalty among thieves. Mm hmm. And the cell phone industry does not care whether you are happy once they have you locked into a contract. They don't care about you. They're, uh, they are not a service industry. They are a, um, they are a, like their, their business practice is get as many people in here as you can. And then they're obligated to fulfill their contract. When I, when I, when I went to Verizon and said, I'm not satisfied with your service, they were like, you locked into a two-year contract. Right. You're out. That's it. You're done. <clears throat> and you know, and you're going to pay, you're going to pay through the end of this contract, whether you like it or not. Now I would probably still be on Verizon mm -hmm. if I hadn't had such a bad taste in my mouth from that experience. And when I switched over to AT&T, the experience was no better. And I just realized it's a new, it's a new business practice. This is not a let's retain customers. This is a, there aren't that many options business model. Right. So here I stand head in hand and I turn my face to the wall. <laughs> <laughs>
and feel like this is a this is an industry I'm in where I'm talking to you and I'm sure if Marco Arment was on the phone with us right now he would he would have a slew of recommendations and I think the first thing he would say is don't use a USB mic yeah I would say the same I've been I've been holding biting my tongue for a little bit here but that I I understand that you're not in your regular you know enough about audio Yes. To know that the best results are not going to come from a USB mic, though they wouldn't necessarily be bad, that you you know you know what an XLR cable is. And if you know what an XLR cable is, you already know that your best option isn't a USB mic. So I'm not I don't need to take you to, to school on that. You know that. Yes. Right. I know it, but I also um You're working under uh, duress. <clears throat> I am, and I'm also someone who is like, I'm a little bit disruptive in the marketplace, Dan. I want to, you know, I want to get something that's like a little bit of a whoop-dee-doo and also like something you tuck into your briefcase where where you're just slipping through the world. I mean, for a while I was traveling with that uh, B-caster, and mm-hmm. I would go through airport security, and as the bag was going through the the radar, I would see on the face of the TSA agent, a look of confusion and standing there. And I know you're not supposed to rattle the cage or, or address the, um, the security personnel. I would kind of lean over the top of the radar box and I would say, it's a microphone. Yeah. And more often than not, they would look up, acknowledge me and go, ah, and let it through. And it was only the rare person that gave you that blank look of like, I am not a human. You are not a human. <laughs> and they would insist that someone pull it out and look at it. And the entire time that we were going through the security theater, I would be saying, it's a microphone. It's just a microphone. Right. And they would pull it out and look at it. And I would go, ah, confirmed a microphone. Do you want to know more? The jacks are a little shabby, but now I don't want, I don't, I don't want anything to do with these things. I feel like they're toys. I feel like they, this is something that I should give a young person and maybe they can (laughs) use it to do young people music or something, you know, like it's like there are all those guitars at guitar center where you look at them and go, these are not good, but for a young person, Mm -hmm. they are plenty good, way better than the stuff they gave young people when I was a young person. Like this, the, the entry level guitars that they used to make are, you couldn't play them. And I think these all now are more or less playable. If you, if you, if you give it even one minute of extra attention. Right. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. Pardon me. Getting over a little bit of a cold. Yeah. Yeah. We would like to say thank you very much to Robinhood, an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options. And cryptos, all commission-free. I don't even know what cryptos are. No, I do. I'm just kidding. They sure do. Because other brokerages, they charge up to $10 for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees. So you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started. So you can start investing at any level that you want. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. They have uh, easy-to-understand charts and market data, and you can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. How do you like that? The whim hits you. you got to make a trade. You're sitting there at night watching uh, Netflix, and you realize you got to do a trade. Boom! Four taps on your phone. How cool is that? You can also view stock collections, such as like the 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. All you day traders, Robinhood is giving listeners of Roadwork of free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. And you can sign up now. Go to roadwork.robinhood.com. It's spelled just like you think it would be spelled. Roadwork.robinhood.com. Thanks very much, Robinhood for making this show possible. Uh, but I am, um, 
I'm going on this microphone rant because I am a displaced person right now. Right. And well, I don't I, mean I found I the perfect mic for my, you. Oh, you did. Oh, yeah. I'm. I'm. I, I have actually reached out to these guys. It's you know when I would say maybe like mm, five to ten years ago, everybody in podcasting got the Blue Yeti microphone. Have you heard of it? I the, remember it. Yes. I remember it. Yes. Ev- everybody from, went out from and got blue it. From blue microphone. Blue blue microphones. Which and is a reputable microphone. Company. It is. The blue the blue Yeti was came in right around a hundred bucks, maybe 125 bucks. And you could now they come in all different like colors and things like that. But at the time it was just like this one microphone. I think it had two different in the beginning you were talking about the different uh uh, patterns that you can switch it to, whether it, it records just what's in front of it or all around. It had things like that. And it was podcasters loved this mic and it looked cool and it worked fine. But because blue is so good at marketing stuff, they had the whole world convinced that this was the end all be all microphone that, that like, and people would ask me, especially when I was doing podcast method uh, and like taking lots of questions, what, what, how do I get rid of this sound? Or why can I hear my air conditioner? Or how come my neighbor three doors down has a dog that barks and everyone can hear it here? Or how come there's so much uh, audio bleed when I'm recording with other people? And, and I would say, well, you're using the Blue Yeti, right? And they'd say, well, mm. yeah, how did you know? I'd say, well, because it's, you know, it's a nice mic, but it's also a relatively entry level condenser mic, which is not- $100. Yeah, which is not the mic that you probably want to use long-term if you're- want to sound really good not because it's a bad mic it's a perfectly good mic for people to like start out with but that once you start getting into refining stuff you know like john i'm sure that i could go and i could buy uh some kind of a knockoff of uh of a strat and hand it to you and you could play some chords and sing along and people would enjoy your music and no one would know Mm. but you would know that it was not the ES-335 that you wanted or the whatever Gibson Les Paul with the vintage uh, humbucking pickups in it that you love so much and the mahogany. You would know the difference. You would know sure, the way you that fi- it, you figure out a way to make it work, but it's not where you want to live. That's, and, that's, and so that's fine. I think this is still, I still recommend this mic to people when they're like, I've got a hundred bucks. What mic should I get? Um, this is not a bad place to start. But- when you are out and about in the world and you're traveling and you still want to be able to record something, record a show or something like that, they make a, a lot of companies make these little traveling mics that you can go and get. And what, the one that I most want to try is from Blue and it's called the Raspberry, which I'm, you know, I, I'm not in love with that name, John. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. But I'm going to send you the link and I'll put it in the show notes too. It's in your uh, messages. It is a very, very nice little portable travel mic. It'll plug into your Mac. I think it even plugs into your iPhone, uh, your PC, whatever. And you can record, you can take this thing with you wherever you go. And they even show a picture, a very Instagram ready photo on the website of this little microphone sitting on a table with a cup of uh, tea and your Moleskine notebook and your guitar mm. and there's plants in the background. And it's, you're going to, you know what, John, you're going to be able to record from anywhere. If you get one of these, like you'll be a man on the go with one of these, things. a raspberry. <laughs> yes. And right. my, my thinking was, I could reach out to these people and and I could do like a review of one of these things. And then maybe if it holds up, this could be like our official mic for when we're, you know, when we're out and about because it's small, it's portable. And if it sounds good, it'll be one of those things that it's good enough. Maybe not for your everyday mic. Maybe it would be good enough for that. But at the very least, when you're displaced or when you're traveling, when you're in, you know, performing a gig in the, in the Grand Canyon, that you'll be able to have this with you and record and it might not be as good as when you're in front of your sure sm7b going into your apogee quartet but it'll be pretty good well uh, as i look at the site here now blue blue microphones yeah um the blue bottle and the blue lagoon and the blue um blue 
new moon on Monday. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> they are used, uh, they are used by professional recording people. Um, or rather they used to be. Yeah. Oh wait here. Pro XLR. So you've got, yeah, the blue bottle is a $4,000 microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, y- they come with a, some different capsules. Um, you've got a couple of $2,000 mics and a $1,000 mic. And I mean, these, y- if you go into a recording studio, you will find these microphones being used for different applications. They're nice. They're, they're, they're good mics, right? Um, and then this, um, this new, uh, USB set up. These mics are all inexpensive microphones, right? I mean, a couple hundred bucks. Right. Um, right. People don't realize like they, they, people like the, the outrage I was speaking at, I think it was a podcast movement conference a few years ago. And some people were asking me like, well, what, what should I, I want to start podcasting. You know, what should I spend for like, what's a good mic cost? And I said, well, mm-hmm. I love the sure SM seven B I'm, I've used it for years. I've, I've definitely made forays into trying different mics, but this has always been my, my main mic. And I love I that I also mic. like it. It's a, I it's, use it also. I, I, that was, I was going to say, I thought that you had told me in the past that you were using it. And when I saw it again on Ken Jennings table, I thought, good, he's, he's on a mic that I like <laughs> and, yes. and it's very versatile and it's, it, it does so much. And it's $399, which is not, expensive as far as my uh, microphones go. That's not an expensive mic. You can spend thousands and thousands on a, on a microphone. And, and, and yet for the average person who's just starting out, that's $400 seem at plus you need a, an amp for it and cables and stuff. Like you don't just have the microphone. You get to like, it doesn't just plug into the back of your computer. You get to buy something else. And that thing is going to cost hundreds. I can see why people balk at that when you suggest it. And why they, why a company like Blue is doing so well with their, you know, you primarily USB microphones. Are people buying these Blue podcasting microphones? I think they still buy them. Yeah, I think there's other. So did you? Go ahead. Well, did you get this Raspberry mic? And no, I'm out? still waiting to hear back from them. I've reached out to them. We reached out to them multiple emails. And I've tweeted to them. Maybe we could launch some kind of campaign where everyone listening now tweets to them that they should send us a couple of these so that we can road test them, road work them. And, uh, do you, do they know who you are? I mean, come I, on. I doubt it. Uh, there's a picture here of a woman named Sarah Nemitz. Oh yeah, says, Sarah. Sure. Yeah. It says Sarah Nemitz. And there's a picture of her with this same raspberry microphone hanging down. Like, like she's in, like she's Ella Fitzgerald in, um, <laughs> In a studio, singing into yes. Neumann with the and with the, says, uh, the the lens flare, the light behind her, right? <laughs> it says Sarah Nemitz recording professional vocals with Raspberry. Yeah, and it, now so it's weird because Sarah Nemitz is in a different font uh, and a larger typeface, so it, it must be important. It, well, that, but it also doesn't seem like it's a sentence, right? It says Sarah Nemitz. And then underneath it, it feels like it should say records professional vocals with raspberry. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But instead it says Sarah Nemitz recording professional vocals with raspberry. And and then if it's going to use the word recording, it feels like it should say recording professional vocals with raspberry since 1974. Yes, like give a, give a time. I think what it's meant to do is make you think that she's like actively, I'm, I'm trying to be, you know, give mm-hmm. them the benefit of the doubt. I think it's saying that she's actively doing it. Like she's recording at any given moment. She's in there recording with this thing. Have you watched a video of her? <coughs> no, that would be a bridge too far in okay. terms of my <laughs> willingness to engage with this. Okay. She can sing. I've been, can't she? Yeah. I've been thinking that my solution might be to, uh, because, you know, Marco expresses a lot of strong opinions about uh, audio gear and mm-hmm. what podcasters should use specifically. Like Marco doesn't, he doesn't step into the fray and say, this is a great microphone for recording a Stratocaster through a twin. He's very specifically in the, in the realm of voice as recorded by 
Right. Semi-professional people, right? Yes. And he feels very strongly about the Sure, and this is the same company as our beloved SM7B, the Sure Beta 87. Yeah, 87A, I think, specifically. Yeah, the Beta 87A. It's not, not uh, my favorite, Mike. You don't like it. I didn't Tell say me more. I didn't I didn't say I didn't like it, John. I said it's not my favorite. Okay, um, let's let's hear it. I mean, I think it's better than the 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 Sure SM58. There's the there's the SM58, which is the like universal Yes, that's the one I'm thinking of. The Sure SM58. Then there's the SM57, which is the right. black one that's the universal mic used in all like to point at all guitar amps. Right. Those really are like the, most of the time. I think of those as stage microphones for the most part. The 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 yeah. Shure SM58. If you ever have wanted to see what that looks like and you don't know, look at any presidential address where they're standing at the podium and talking into. And usually there's two of them side by side for redundancy. If you uh, if you look at any of those in the last twenty years, maybe forty years. They're talking to a Shure SM58. Mm-hmm. Um, that is sort of the, if, if you go to, I'm sure you've seen them on every, many, many stages that you've been on, right? That's like, you're going to sing into that on stage, right? That's like. It is, it's universal. Yeah. Um, I feel like the one that, that Marco likes, the 87A, is a nice step up from uh, the, the 58 but I don't love it. And you know, it's funny. I've seen a thing and I'll, I have never shared this because I'm not, I'm not here to disparage uh, microphones. It's not my job really. Yeah, I guess it is. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think that, and I've seen this more often than not as recently as yesterday, somebody said to me, Dan, I, I, I was wondering if you could give me a microphone recommendation I'd say, okay, what are you using right now? Oh, I'm using the Sure Beta 87, 87A. And I'll say, hmm. okay, I'm, I'm guessing you got that based on Marco's recommendation. And the response is, how did you know? Mm. I said, because he's the only person who has ever recommended this microphone. He literally, he's oh. the, only, the only living human being in the world who has recommended this is Marco Armet. And that's not- And that's, be- why, that, that's why when he made that recommendation, it felt like he had- he had like unlocked the box. Like, wow, he's, he's like a bead this against all these other microphones. I think he has. This is what he's come up with. Yeah. I mean, it's like, whoa, it really, it resonated. And here's the thing about microphones is that everybody's taste in microphones, is going to be different and everybody's voice is different and what they hear. No, he, you know, it's like when, when you look at something that's painted blue and I look at something that's painted blue we both are going to know that it's blue, but we're not seeing the same color. We see it differently and bring a woman into it and she'll see it even more differently. I, my, my wife can see thousands of colors that I can't even see. I can't even see them. They don't exist to me. There's blue, red, maybe green. That's about all the colors I can even see. And I'm not colorblind. I'm just saying like I have a a typical, I think male color palette. And and well, I, I, if you bring my mom into it, there is oh. no color of blue that she won't tell me is green. Really, and no color of green <laughs> that she won't insist is blue. But I think it's even worse when it comes to audio stuff. That so, you know, Marco can listen to the eighty-seven A, and you can say this: this sounds really good at two hundred something bucks. This is a great mic for me. It's a great mic for people, and he's going. He's right for a percentage of of people. Uh, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to twist his words and say that he's saying it's right for everyone. I just think it's a mic that he likes. I've heard him recommend a lot. And then people come to me and they're like, I'm using this microphone. And even just as recently as yesterday, someone came and said, I don't like how my voice sounds through it. I said, well, I, uh, I, I, I said, uh, and I know that I know this person, I've heard his podcast and I know his voice. And I said, you know, I'm actually going to recommend m- my favorite mic for most people, which is the SM7B. I'm, I'm, the SM7B, right? But it's a much bigger microphone. It is not a, um, you know, the thing about a Beta 87A is it's a, it, it looks like an SM uh, SM58, 
Yeah. Just a little bit bigger. It's like you could hold it in your hand. You walk around the room. It's like an MC's mic. It's like, hey, everybody, welcome to the karaoke. Uh, whereas an SM7B is like, it's a chunky mic. It's got yeah. a chunky, uh, a chunky little, little bracket. Right. And it doesn't just fit into a little clip that you can put into anything. It, it has a, it has a built-in shock mount on there. It's mm-hmm. got, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a bigger, it's a bigger deal, but this guy, this guy's podcast, he's doing hundreds of his hundreds of thousands of downloads. So he's, he's the right person to upgrade. Um, right, right. He's ready for the he's ready for the show. But what I'm looking for, Dan, you got to solve this problem for me. I want something I can throw into a briefcase and podcast from a staged home mm. that's that still belongs to me because inexplicably the home has not sold because although it has yeah, what been happened? featured you said in you were magazine wait- articles. Yeah, you said you were waiting on this weekend. The real estate agent was going to come to you and share all of the offers that had come in and you were going to sort of sit back in your chair with the, you know, with, with your pipe and peruse through the hundreds of offers, pick the ones you like most and make a decision. Correct. What happened? Well, everybody, everybody agreed that that was what was going to happen. And when that day, when that appointed day came and I woke up in the morning in my, in my guest bedroom where I was staying and uh, I cracked my knuckles and said, let's get down to business. By the end of today, I will have accepted an offer on the house. Right. It will be a bittersweet moment because I I will feel a pang mm. on behalf of the five or six young families who dreamt of owning my house and I had to dash their hopes. But um, unfortunately, I am going to choose the young family that produces the largest amount of cash right. uh, as in all real estate transactions or 90% of them, let's say 95%. Now, if a guy came with a big bushy mustache and said, I want to buy your house and tear it down and turn it into a salt factory, mm-hmm. I would say, hold your horses, Mr. Capitalist man. I'm going to sell my house to this young family that's trying to raise a new generation of activists but if it was three different families who were all trying to raise a young generation of activists, I would take the one with the most money. And all day long, I waited for my real estate agent to call me and say, come down to the office. The only reason we haven't called you yet is that we've been deluged with offers. Mm. And at the end of the and this is what I've been hearing for months from everybody. Like, look out when you put that house on the market. Right. You're going to be and, swamped. You're going to be slammed. You're not going to know what happened. Yeah. And then in addition to that, all these articles came out about it. You know, the, on the, uh, on one of those websites that like talks about cool real estate around the country, there was, there were like two feature articles and one of them was, um, uh, well, the, the, there were, there were two of them. One of them was mine. John Roderick of the Long Winters sells his amazing farmhouse in South Seattle. <laughs> and uh, the other one was um, uh, that ding-dong with the mustache that has the uh, podcast in his garage. Uh, old what's-his-butt, who interviewed the president. <laughs> uh, Mark uh, Marin. Mark Marin, that's the guy. The other article was like, Mark Marin sells the house with the garage that we all talk about that's like the famousest garage in LA. So it felt like, wow, I'm, I mean, selling my house in an environment where it's a news item. Mm -hmm. So as that day wore on, and I'm talking about last Thursday, a week ago, a week ago, uh, I heard nothing. And at the end of the day, the real estate agent called me and said, we cannot account for this, but there were no offers. Uh, they had an open house where 80 people came. It was a redfin hot home. A redfin um, hot home. <clears throat> a hot home is redfin has some algorithm that determines based on the number of looky loos or looks or faves on the internet that you have a hot, a hot home, home is a home for sale that is expected to be among the most competitive homes on the market. According to the proprietary Redfin hot homes algorithm. Yes. Hot homes. And now 
this idea that the house was going to be um, uh, competed for led me to believe that in this proliferation of offers, I was going to be in a in a posture where I had to wade through um, offers which were increasingly large, right? Somebody's like, I'll name that price. And then somebody else is like, I'll go $20,000 higher. And so I was starting to count some imaginary money. Um, and I was starting to prepare to make an offer on the house that I want. Right. Now in, in Seattle, can you make and, an, can you make an oh, offer on something that that's contingent upon the, uh, like, can you say, I'm offering you however much for this house contingent upon the sale of my own house? Can you do that there? You absolutely can. But there are so many buyers uh, who have so much money in right. Seattle that yeah. no one ever takes a contingency offer because there's someone else standing there who's like, I'll give you cash tomorrow. Right. And the only thing that allowed me to make a contingency offer on the house that I wanted was that the guy wasn't actually selling it. I was going, I, w- I was going to basically go up to his door and say, here's an amount of money. You don't have to do anything. Uh, and it's contingent on me selling the house. But again, it's not like I'm competing against anybody. I just, this guy and I would make a side deal. <clears throat> so here we are one week later, there was a second open house there have been people through every day. Um, this guy came to collect a child's jacket that was left here yesterday, I guess, when a family came to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are touring the house, and yet a week later, I do not, I have not gotten a call saying, come down and wade through this pile of offers. And it becomes increasingly likely that someone will make me an offer basically at asking price or horror of horrors below asking price. And the asking price was low, I thought, like ridiculously low, designed to generate this excitement. Wow, that house for only $700,000? In the Seattle market, that seems crazy. Mm -hmm. If you just move a couple of miles north of here, $700,000 $700,000 won't buy you a two bedroom apartment. Right. And here, here, here it is, you know, now the house has been on the market two weeks, mm-hmm. which in the weird cult of real estate agents starts to be a little bit suspect. Like, right. Well, wait a minute. Right. Shouldn't this have sold already? What's the, what's the issue? And so After that first week, I thought maybe it was that people were so intimidated by the hullabaloo that they said, we'll never be able to get this house. So let's not even make an offer on it because it's going to, there's going to be a bidding war and we're going to get priced out. So let's just not even be ridiculous. But now here we are week two and I start to wonder, is the, is the defunct swimming pool the thing? That's scaring people. Is it the fact that this is the nicest house in my neighborhood and a lot of other houses in the neighborhood have between five and seven cars parked out front? Yeah. Um, is that frightening away the, uh, the yuppie who's looking for, a, or the, you know, the young urban professional family, uh, that are looking for a cute house in which to raise their adorable children Um, like is the neighborhood itself too intimidating, uh, to people who have $750,000 to spend because it's a very diverse neighborhood. It does not read as a neighborhood that is full of hip artists with chin beards. Right. (laughs) Reads as a neighborhood where people get up in the morning and go to work. Right. And you know, uh, is it. I, I don't, I honestly cannot, cannot explain except that it's a quirky house on a quirky plot of land and 
it's an, a very individual place. Uh, John, we are running a little long. Why don't we continue this story in the Patreon episode? If you're interested in hearing that, just go check us out at patreon.com slash roadwork and you can hear the rest and a bunch more stuff every week. Excellent. Awesome. Awesome.